Well, if you're a guest here at Palm Vista for the very first time, you will notice there are a lot of children here in the auditorium. This is not our normal procedure. We're taking two weeks off from normal children's ministry to just to give our nursery and children's ministry workers a break. However, if you have an infant up until the age of two, there is nursery for that infant. So you can go right through these doors and down that hallway. But let me just say this to you children. You're here, and it's a great privilege for you to be here this morning because you get to be sitting under the Word of God being preached. And I realize if you're like three, you're figuring out what does the word privilege mean, Mommy. I understand that. But your parents will explain it to you. But let me tell you this. Pay attention. Listen to God's Word. Listen to the preacher of the God's Word, not because it's me, but because God sent him to you. And the main preacher for you are your parents. But it's good for you to be here. And parents, let me encourage you. Uh, Encourage your kids to sit still and pay attention. I know it's not easy in this video generation. But even more importantly, after this sermon, you talk to them about it. Because if they hear you talking about this sermon after the sermon, guess what that's going to communicate to them? That it's important. That mom and dad are talking about it. If it were my kids on a Sunday afternoon, I'd be tempted to talk about other things. Like, why in the world is Tim Tebow not playing today for the Jets? (laughs) If it was still college football season, how about them Gators? I'd be talking about that. So what does that tell my kids? It tells my kids that football is important to me. But, oh boy, what I want them to see is a far greater passion for this word. And a far greater passion for my Savior. And for the narrative and the history we're going to read today that's so important about the, the gospel moving forward to the nations. The conversion, the calling, the commissioning of Saul, the Apostle Paul. His Hebrew name is Saul, Greek name is Paul, Greek-speaking Jew from Tarsus, modern-day Turkey. This is the story today of his conversion. And in this story, we're going to be looking at how God speaks to us and how he uses people in our lives and how he calls men and women. So parents, urge your children to pay attention, to be quiet, to sit still. It's a good thing. And then take time to talk with them about this. For God is speaking to all of us this morning. And he's calling us to carry Jesus' name. That's the title of the message. Called to carry Jesus' name. Called to carry Jesus' name. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on verse 31. Corey is going to use that as a springboard for next week. But I, do, I am going to include it. So 1 to 31, this initial phase, I'm only going to read through verse 19a. So Acts 9, verses 1 to 19a. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table back there. Get it. Open it. Put your fingers on the word. Read silently with me as I read. This is the word of God. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So this is modern-day Jerusalem, Israel, Damascus, and Syria. So imagine that, that trip. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, 
he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he, the Lord, said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. By the way, parents, I know I'm reading this somewhat dramatically. Can I encourage you, as you read the Bible to your children, don't be afraid to read it dramatically. There are punctuation marks here. These are live narratives and histories. Do that, that the word of God may come alive to your children. Verse 7, the men who were, and try to imagine what this would be like. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither, neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Uh, Lord, (laughs) I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed. And entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Lord, I pray that you would arrest all of us right now, wherever we're going, in our minds, in our hearts, with our lives, that you, Lord Jesus, the Lord of the church, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the mission, would now command us as your servants through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Wednesday, I had coffee with David Lindemann, who's married to Jenna, formerly Kelso. And uh, David and I were talking and chatting, and uh, he was informing me that in March he will successfully complete the officer candidate school and become a naval aviator. And when he graduates in March, he will be commissioned an officer in the United States Navy. And he will swear an oath to defend our Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. In our text this morning, we have the record of Saul's commissioning to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Here we have the record of the Lord Jesus calling, converting, commissioning Saul to carry Jesus' name to all peoples, foreign 
and domestic. And though Saul's commissioning is unique, he is an apostle. He's an apostle to the Gentiles, very important for the history of redemption. It is unique, and his calling and conversion and commissioning are unique. But the fact that Jesus still calls, converts, and commissions men and women to carry his name is not unique. So that we can learn much here in this text. Because the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord of the church and the Lord of the mission, is here this morning calling you. Perhaps for some of you, converting you. And commissioning us to carry his name to all people, foreign and domestic. The word Lord here, if you search these scriptures, is used 11 times. This text is about the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the mission, calling and commissioning his people. Like Saul, we are all called, we're all commissioned to carry Jesus' name. God is calling us to carry the name of Jesus into our world. That's the burden, that's the main point of this text. The Lord Jesus calls us to carry his name into our world. The Lord Jesus calls us to carry his name into our world. I pray, friends, that like Saul fell at the feet of Jesus and heard the voice of Jesus and regained the the sight that Jesus had temporarily taken from him and Jesus opened his eyes and Jesus told him to go and carry his name and Jesus filled him with the Spirit, I pray the same would occur to you this morning. Nothing is more important. There's a particular burden on my heart this morning for young men and women who are floating, drifting. Some of you are actually opposing Jesus like Saul was. And my prayer is that God would arrest you and knock you down so that when he would pick you back up, you would be a different person. And your life's mission would be different. It wouldn't be the all me, all the time channel, but it would be Jesus. Oh, that's a burden. And only the Lord can do it. But he uses foolish men like me preaching his wonderful word to accomplish his purpose. I want you to feel the tension of this passage. Here's the tension. You've got Saul. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Breathing threats... (coughs) And murder, yes, the word murder there. And he actually murdered people. He killed people, dead, bloody, gross, stoned them to death and approved of it. This isn't some little fairy tale. This actually happened. He was a bad man, a feared man. And he is riding into Damascus with threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he had this letter from the high priest in Jerusalem that that enabled him to capture them and to take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem where they would be tried and most likely executed. Versus the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the Lord. Again, 11 times you see the word Lord there. The first time it appears is in verse 1. The disciples of the Lord. So who's going to win? 
Saul breathing threats and murder with the authority of the high priest, or Jesus Christ, who's really nowhere to be seen, and his disciples are here on earth, and we just have read about Stephen being horribly murdered and stoned to death, and there's a pressure underneath them. Who's going to win? Do you see the tension? Do you feel the tension? So let's step into that tension, and let's take a look at Saul, this man who is breathing threats and murder against God's people. See where it says there, the way, in verse 2, B, and that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That, that term, the way, is another, another way of them describing the church. Here, is, here are the people of God who teach that God was restoring Israel through Jesus, not through the temple, not through the law, not through the high priest, Hence, the high priest wanted to kill them, as did Saul. That, that God was restoring the new Israel, a new people, underneath Jesus Christ, the one crucified, the one risen from the dead, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. And the way is the community of followers of Jesus who believe that. This is how God was renewing his people, through Jesus Christ. And and Saul was on his way to to confront the disciples of the Lord when the Lord confronts Saul. And it's a life-changing confrontation. Again, application, dear friend. May God grant us all this morning a life-changing encounter with the risen and exalted Jesus through his word, by his spirit. But let's take a look at Saul's encounter. Look at verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he being Saul, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus initiates this encounter as he always does, friends. No one is looking for Jesus. There are no seekers There is is no man that seeks after God. Scripture's clear. It is when God initiates the encounter. God begins the dialogue, and Jesus does that. He suddenly, from heaven, a light comes down. Saul, being a Jew, would have understood this metaphor very well. Just like the light came down in the burning bush, and the voice from heaven spoke to Moses, or the light came down in thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai, and God spoke, his voice thundered. He understood, uh uh-oh. This is unusual. And just like every human being does, Saul hits the ground. The man, the guy who's in charge of everything, the the pompous, strong, arrogant man who's come to cause other people to fall and grovel before him and beg for their lives is suddenly face down, his cheeks pressed into the dirt, his eyes wide open. Now remember, the church is reading this. The church, there's no video back then, there's no email. So the church that has only heard about Saul, who has killed Stephen, Saul, who has persecuted his people, and when they read this, I could just imagine them going, what? Saul is down? Who brought him down? It reminds me of a very famous picture, and I enjoy boxing. Uh, my father used to enjoy boxing, and Maybe it's because we come from Cuba and just that, that whole idea, of the, which we enjoyed it and we used to watch it. And I, and I remember Muhammad Ali when he fought Joe Frazier. 
And Joe Frazier was just a beast of a man from Philadelphia, just a brute. And people thought that Ali was going to get crushed by, by Frazier. If you've ever seen this picture, it's of Ali just standing over a guy like this. And I'll never forget the call. As I watched that, Howard Cosell was calling it. And when Ali put Frazier down, Howard Cosell said, said down goes Frazier. <laughs> and when the Christians at this time read this, they heard, down goes Saul. And I imagine some of them were saying, kill him. Kill that guy. I mean, you killed Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit. This guy hasn't just lied to the Holy Spirit. He's killed Christians. My friend, kill him. But oh, friends, God didn't kill Saul. God converted Saul. God converted him, called him, took him, and made him his instrument. It's funny. Saul is going to Damascus to charge Christians with an offense against God. And here, in verse 4, we see that God charges Saul with an offense against him. Look at verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, 4B, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Hear this question, why are you persecuting me? The point is becoming clear to Saul. I have been persecuting Christians. I have been persecuting those of the way. And now this voice from heaven, and there's light, and I'm down, and down goes Saul. And I know this is serious. I think I might be in trouble here because he's saying that I'm persecuting him. But wait a second, I'm persecuting them. If I'm persecuting, if he says I'm persecuting him and I'm persecuting them, then they must be together. Uh-oh. I can only imagine that in Saul's mind comes the words of Gamaliel, his teacher, back from Acts chapter 5, when they were just threatening the apostles. And Gamaliel says, be careful in opposing these men, because if this is of God, you're opposing God. Do you think maybe Saul's starting to think, "Uh uh-oh. I'm face down, and God's telling me that I am opposing him. See, see, Saul knows all about Old Testament theophanies. And he knows he's either being addressed by God or an angel. He's probably hoping for an angel right about now. But he's suspecting God. Because he remembers what Stephen preached. I see Jesus as the Son of God, which is God in the flesh. He's, he's suspecting he's, he's in trouble. But, but, but listen, what does he do? Look at verse 5. He asks a question. And he said, who are you, Lord? Now remember, it's more, likely, more than likely that Saul never saw Jesus Christ. I think Jesus appeared to Saul because later Paul says that he had a personal encounter with Jesus. I think that Jesus appeared to him and he saw him and, and no one else saw him. Because remember, they heard but they didn't see. But he didn't recognize Jesus. You know, they didn't have photos back then. Like Jesus' picture wasn't in the post office as one of the ten most wanted Jews, you know, in Jerusalem. He didn't recognize him. So he asks a legitimate question. Who is Jesus? Now, here's the question I have for you. Those of you who do not know Jesus, I'm speaking to you, unbeliever. That's right, you. You who I pray God put down in the ground. I pray he put your face down in the ground right now because of kindness. And I'm asking you, do you recognize Jesus? Not, not, not the pretty little fabrications of this world. Yeah, I never get 
the blonde-haired, pink, rosy-skinned Jesus, you know, in, in the manger. I, I saw one the other day. I'm like, excuse me, this is a Jewish man from the Middle East. Blonde, curly hair, you know, I, what is this? We fabricate Jesus. Have you fabricated? Do you recognize Jesus? Unbeliever. Do we recognize Jesus? As your face is on the ground, do you hear his voice? Oh, hear his voice through these words. Hear his voice through my preaching that he is the Lord of his church and he's the Lord of his mission. And that's how Jesus identifies himself in 5b. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And after identifying himself as Jesus, he says, I'm the one that oversees the church. I'm the one that that directly oversees the mission of the church. And therefore, Saul, I'm about to give you your commission. Read it with me. Verse 6. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul who came to Damascus and was going to enter Damascus with command from the high priest to persecute the Christians, is intercepted, has an encounter with the risen, reigning Lord Jesus, Lord of the mission, and now he has a new mission. He has a new commander. He's been commissioned in the Lord's army. Saul took the initiative to go to Damascus. Jesus took that initiative from Saul and says, no, no. I'm the one initiating. You're going to go into Damascus under my orders. Look at verse 7. I I could just imagine these guys in verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Now, sanctified imagination. Remember, why is he going to Damascus? He's going there to arrest Christians. There could be a lot of them. Like, I'm imagining like a first century SWAT team. Like, I'm imagining maybe a first century SEAL Team 6. I mean, these were tough guys, probably temple guards, temple police. And they're they're walking with Saul. They're protecting him, but they're also going to be his muscle when it gets tons of time to arrest people, knock down doors, terrorize people. And they're speechless. I mean, in the Greek, speechless means speechless. And... A little humor to lighten things up here. And, and so they, they, these are men that are never speechless. They're men that never know what to do. They're frozen. They're taught to not freeze. God's frozen them. God has frozen them. And not only has he frozen them, he's blinded. He's blinded them to see what Saul see, and he's literally blinded Saul. Look again at Verse 7, the men were traveling with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. This word see and sight is going to be key now in the next couple of verses. Count how many times it's used. Stood speechless and hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Can you imagine that? Down goes Frazier. But at least Frazier didn't lose his sight. I mean, Paul gets knocked down, knocked out, and his vision is taken from him. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul is blinded. 
This is not how Saul envisioned entering Damascus. Saul thought he would enter Damascus with royalty and power and with all of his SWAT team guys around him riding on whatever they rode on back then. And he would ride into the city and go into the the main authorities with orders from the high priest. And instead, he's being led, blinded to a man's house. I'm sure he didn't plan on staying there. God changed his plans. God changed his life. Oh, would God do that for you? You would be walking in your pride, your arrogance. Man, bow your knees, hit the ground. Let God raise you up and open your eyes. Though your eyes are open, you are blind. I love this quote from Schnabel. I love the name Schnabel, and I love the quote from Schnabel. Good German guy. Although he was seeking to persecute those, speaking of Saul, although he was seeking to persecute those who described themselves as the way, he is now unable to find his own way. He arrives in Damascus physically blinded by the heavenly light and spiritually shaken by his encounter with the risen and exalted Jesus. Saul will be called by the risen Lord to be a light to the nations. But before he can fulfill his commission, he must be converted from his condition of embodying Israel's blind resistance to the straight way of God. Application. Oh, dear unbeliever, I pray that you would be blinded by the heavenly light of Jesus right now and shaken by a spiritual encounter with him right now. And I pray that God would then arrest you in the pursuit of your own agenda and call you to the pursuit of his agenda and open your eyes and give you life and give you an adventure that you could never imagine. In Jesus' name. And if you're the child of a believing family, even more so. Jesus issues his commissioning orders for Saul. Now note, he does it through a follower of Jesus. Remember, Saul initially was coming to Damascus to arrest these guys. So now God's going to issue his commission to Saul, his new marching orders for his life, forget about that day, through the very people that Saul was coming to arrest. It's rich, rich, rich. Look at verse 10. Now, there was a disciple in, at Damascus named Ananias. Now, we know from other scriptures that Ananias was a devout man. He was a devout man. And we may assume that Ananias was one of the leading believers in Damascus, the very man Saul may have targeted to arrest. We don't know. Maybe. Sanctified imagination. He's got intelligence. He's got spies in Damascus. Who are the leaders of the church in Damascus? Who are we going to target when we go in there to arrest people? Bottom line is this. He was going to Damascus to arrest, interrogate, punish, extradite Ananias back to Jerusalem to perhaps execute him if he has successfully carried out his original mission. But what a turn of events. What a turn of events. Saul, who was going to arrest Ananias as the disciple of the Lord Jesus, now sits waiting for Ananias, having seen him in a vision, to come pray for him so that he might receive his sight. And much, much more. Isn't that amazing? It's unbelievable that God would do this. It's actually very believable. See, Ananias, unlike Saul, 
did not have to ask Jesus who he was. Look again here. Look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And what does Ananias say to him? What does he say to him? Here I am, Lord. He recognizes Jesus, unlike Saul. So now I'm speaking to you, believer. To you, believer, who recognize Jesus. To you, believer, who are sitting in Damascus, thinking about the Sauls that are coming to kill you and persecute you, thinking about the people, the last person in the world that you think God would ever call to use. And I want to challenge you as you listen to the Ananias narrative and ask you to have the faith of Ananias because put yourselves in this man's shoes. Jesus is going to command him now and commission this man to go to Saul. He's actually going to give him a specific address. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. He gets specific address situations right now, and this is what he's to do. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in, that's you. And lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, do do you see where it says there at the end of verse 11? He is praying. Everybody see that? What was Saul praying? Now, he's there three days. He's fasting. And it says here he's praying. He's been praying for three days. What is he praying? Well, I don't know for sure, but many of the best theologians and commentators that I've read would say that it's during this time that Saul's converted. I can't fully explain that other than this. I'm pretty sure Saul was aware of what Stephen preached. I know he was. I know he was aware of what the Christians were preaching because that's why he wanted to kill them. So it's not like the gospel was intellectually foreign to him, but he hadn't seen Jesus yet. I believe during those three days, as do many of the best theologians, that he was expressing remorse for working against Jesus. Remember, Gamaliel was his uh, teacher, and Gamaliel was the one that said, be careful, if you oppose these guys, you may be opposing God. I think he was beginning to realize, I've been opposing God. Don't you think that maybe Saul was repenting for murdering Stephen? How would you feel, friend, if you had murdered men and women? It says that Saul had murdered men and women. He didn't distinguish in his rage against them, in his zeal for the law in Judaism. He was repenting. He was asking God for guidance. He was acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And in that prayer, somewhere in those three days, God said, Ananias is going to come and pray for you. He's going to lay his hands on you. And and you're going to receive sight. I believe in those days that he had faith in Jesus Christ as the crucified, risen, and exalted Messiah and Savior. What's the point? Here's the point. Al, what, what application is that to me? This is fantastic stuff. It is. But it still happens today, because here's the point. God still works in unbelievers' hearts, those his elect that are fast bound right now in the chains of darkness. He's still working there, unbeknownst to us, unseen to us, and he's still working in believers, and he's still telling them and moving them by the Spirit, and he's still saying, go, preach the gospel. And he still brings unbelievers in whom he is working and believers in whom he is working together at his appointed time in divine appointments. I love, I love these testimonies from Christmas near the beach, which we had a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> and 
And um, this is from St. Nick himself, Paul Derry, who played Santa Claus there. <laughs> he writes me, hey, Al, first of all, I want to tell you what a great time I had down there. Your church folks treated us like family. Thank you, church, for doing that. And we were so blessed. Thanks a lot for having us. I love your spirit, bro. Did I share with you about getting to pray with the guy whose son has a brain tumor while we were there? What a great opportunity that was. God is awesome. Yes, he is. And thank you, Paul, for being a willing Ananias, working in the lives of those unbelievers that God is working in. This is from Alan Cook on Ananias, if I ever saw one. And it mentions, um, as well, Sean Worley, another Ananias. And they were writing to the McDaniels some, some uh, testimonies of divine appointments. And so uh, Alan writes, Dina, uh, Sean Worley and I spoke with a young man named Andrew who just moved here from Ohio. So that night, many of us were just moving through the crowds, just engaging folks in conversation, being Ananias, perhaps God calling us to lay hands on a Saul who God's working on and God wants to commission convert. So Sean and I spoke to this young man named Andrew who just moved here from Ohio. He was attending with his cousin. He's working here and living with his cousin at this time. He told us that, quote, this event was God appointed, unquote. He's interested in attending our church and we gave him a church card. And then Alan talks about how he and Lloyd met with another woman. She had grave needs and he said this woman read the backs of our shirts and didn't understand what it meant to ask for prayer. So we had these red shirts on the back that says, if you need prayer, just ask me. And she didn't understand it. She, had, she didn't even know how to pray. And she began to share her heart with Alan and Lloyd about prayer needs in her life. And then the final one, I love this. Uh, this is Alan. I also spoke with another man whose name was Andy. He was from Trinidad. He's handicapped with just one leg and walks using a crutch. He left and returned with his wife after we spoke initially. He was very glad we were there. I invited he and his wife to church, gave them a Palm Vista card, and they both seemed interested. He really enjoyed the steel drum band. (laughs) If you were there, uh, that that was amazing. Ananiases, who understand that God is working in Saul's. And do we have the faith to go and be used of God Because listen, let's face it, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, those testimonies are great. You say, well, that's Paul Derry. I mean, anybody that dresses up in a Santa suit, right? He's a bold, crazy guy. That's Sean Worley. We all know Sean. We all know Alan. They're the evangelist types, right? No, wrong. They are, but no, this is for everybody. Because listen, it wasn't easy for Ananias to go and pray for Saul. Are you kidding It was a fight for Ananias. It's a fight for us. It's a fight of faith in those moments. Do we believe God is working in people's lives? Do we believe that Jesus is Lord? He's sovereign. Put yourself in Ananias' shoes. Well, let's do it. Look Look at the text again. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord. It's the sixth use of the word Lord here. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And, there, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. What's Ananias saying? Uh, Lord, before I go to talk to this guy Saul of Tarsus, let me make sure I, I got the right Saul. Is this the guy that's been killing Christians and came here to probably arrest me and maybe kill me? All right, so let me, let, me, let me bring it down a little bit closer. It would be like one of you hearing from the Lord 
before Osama bin Laden died, that, that the Lord would say, I want you to go fly to Pakistan to Tora Bora and climb into one of those caves because I've been, I, I've, I've converted. I mean, Osama bin Laden is now, he wants to talk to you. He's waiting for you. You're going to go pray for him. And he's going to, you know, his sight's going to be restored. You would say, okay, that was the pizza I had last night. I'm not even getting close to him before they kill me. And not only that, what would most of us think? Pray for him? Oh, no, no, no. Give me a gun. I'll kill him. Kill him, Lord! That's the intensity Christians had towards Saul. Do you understand? He actually killed people. Not just was a mean guy. This was a bad person. And he says, are you sure, Lord? A, because I don't want to get killed. And B, I don't even know. I mean, do I really even want to pray for this guy? I want him blind. So he can't find me. God says, I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to convert him. Will you obey? Will you obey? Oh, Christian, Ananias is Will you have faith that God is working in people that you'd prefer he perhaps either kill or move out of your life? That obnoxious person in your neighborhood at work? We live, we live in a, a rough and tumble, sensual, arrogant, selfish city. There are opportunities every day to get self-righteously angry at people. And if not, kill them physically. In my heart, kill them. And God is saying, will you be Ananias and listen as I send you? Do you believe that I am Lord of the harvest? Do you believe that my authority is higher than the authority of the high priest? Don't worry, Ananias. Saul came here to be an instrument of the high priest to kill you, but I am making him my instrument to carry my name. That's what the text says. Look what the Lord answers Ananias, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, go. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Oh, friends, Saul is now an instrument in Jesus' hands to carry Jesus' name to the Gentiles and the kings and to kings and to the children of Israel. This is a a crucial moment in the history of redemption. And Ananias has faith, and he ends up going He goes, he obeys his Lord. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I believe Brother Saul, that means that Saul's converted at this point. Remember those three days of prayer and fasting? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. You see this happening all through Acts now. I mean, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, those to whom Peter was preaching, the people in Samaria, when the gospel is preached by the power of God through humble servants, whether they're apostles or whether they're just uh, servants like Philip, and then, and then they ask, what must we do to be saved is have faith in Christ and you will see typically baptism. So he's being baptized for his sins. He's being baptized for the washing away of his sins. It's the sign of the covenant that Jesus has saved him and washed him of the sin of murdering people. Do you think Saul was excited about Jesus? His sight is restored. He can see again. 
And what does he do? Verse 19b. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Saul proclaimed the very thing that got Stephen killed. Remember what got Stephen killed? When he said, I see the Son of Man, the Son of God. And Saul, who was there, preaches the same thing because he's converted and he's preaching Jesus because God's changed the mission of his life. God's changed his heart. And I believe God wants to change the hearts of some of you young men and women that you would become preachers of Jesus. I'm not talking a pastor necessarily, but preachers, proclaimers of Jesus every day. How in the world is this possible? What happened? Verse 21 The people in Damascus asked the question, and all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? What happened to you, Saul? You're preaching Jesus as the Son of God? You came here to arrest people to preach that. Here's what happened. Saul's encounter with the living Jesus is the cause for his about face. It's the cause for his life's mission to be changed. And point two, it's what enabled him to proclaim Jesus. And I'm not going to spend much time on this second point. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to hammer point one. But he proclaims Jesus in Damascus. He proclaims Jesus in Jerusalem. I mean, look, look what he says in Damascus. Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul proves from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Christ. Just like Philip preached from the Old Testament, starting with Isaiah, that Jesus was the suffering servant, the Messiah, that Isaiah was prophesying of. So Saul, with all his understanding, has his eyes open. He had his eyes open but wasn't seeing. But now God gives him sight and he begins to preach Jesus. Can you imagine Saul preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. Dude, that would have been powerful. It was so powerful that they wanted to kill him. Look what what it says there, um, verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They hated Saul, just like they hated Stephen, just like the world will hate us when we preach Jesus with power. And not only did he preach Jesus in Damascus, but look what he does in Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 29. 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And verse 29, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist. Do you remember the Hellenist? Well, sure I do, Al. I remember the Hellenist. Well, let me remind you just in case. The Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. Where is Saul from? He's from Tarsus, Turkey. He's from the Diaspora. He's a Greek-speaking Jew. He studied in Jerusalem, but he's from Tarsus. Remember, Stephen was a Greek-speaking Jew. Philip was a Greek-speaking Jew. Remember when Stephen was discussing with the Greek-speaking Jews in in the Hellenist synagogue, and he was confounding them? I think Saul was there. Because later when they kill Stephen, they lay their their coats at Saul's feet. So I think Saul goes back to the same synagogue. I know, sanctified imagination. But, hey, let me imagine. It could have happened. Goes back to the same synagogue. He gets back into Jerusalem. He can't wait to go back there and says, Hey, guys, guess what? I now agree with Stephen. 
And then he just confounds them and disputes with them. And what does it result in? Same thing. It results for everybody else. Verse 29, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Oh, Jesus worked in Saul's life in a mighty way. And the, the reality is demonstrated by Saul preaching Jesus as he was commanded. And we see in verse 31 that the church is growing. I'm not going to spend much time on this verse. Corey's going to use it, I think, as a springboard next week. But look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Yeah, they had peace because Saul was no longer persecuting them. (laughs) They had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church is growing. It's one of those snapshot pictures. The church had peace. The church was being built up. The church was growing numerically as the members walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Here's the appeal, friends. Here's the appeal to you Saul's in this room who are unbelievers. Oh, that God would speak to you and open your eyes and you would be converted today. That's my prayer. Down goes Frasia. And you would stay down until he picks you up and opens your eyes and gives you life eternal and changes the direction of your life. And to those of you Ananiases, those of us Ananiases in this building, that we would get up and not be afraid or be lazy, but we would hear the voice of the Lord and believe he's the Lord of the harvest, and we go find those souls that God is leading us to go lay our hands on, metaphorically speaking. Don't start touching people, all right? But just lay our hands on them, metaphorically speaking, and speak to them the word of God and say, listen, I'm here. Has God been speaking? Yes, he has. Can you explain this to me? Can you help me here? Friends, meeting Jesus changes everything. And my prayer is that we would encounter him right now. That he would change us from passive and lethargic Christians to aggressive, motivated Ananiases so that the church might grow. bow our heads in prayer. Worship team, please join me. Community group leaders, would you come up as well? Father, I pray that you would begin to work in our lives in ways that are beyond just being nice little Christians. Lord, I I don't want to be known as a nice guy. I, I want to be known as a man who is under the command of the Lord Jesus and I want to be known as a man who's willing to go into places and, and, and lay hands on, on men like Saul, who the world, even Christians, would condemn murderers, men and women who have hurt the, the church, it, perhaps a political figure, perhaps someone's coming to mind right now, that person that we think is the furthest away from uh, Christ, the person we would actually wish harm to, the person we wish you would take out of the picture, maybe even kill. We'd be standing over them and saying, kill Saul. But you're saying, I'm going to convert Saul. Because, Lord, which one of us doesn't deserve to die in front of your holiness? And when we were down, you had mercy on us and lifted us up and opened our eyes. Lord, I pray that we would behold you, the Lamb of God, and it would change us. It would change us. What I'd like to do right now is just, look, we're here because God is kind and he wants to interact with you 
It may be just through his word, but oftentimes as he, as he, as he speaks to you, you need an Ananias to just lay hands on you. Just agree with you. Humble yourself. Come to the Lord. Just say, help me. I, I want to be. I want to change. I, I want to have faith. I, if you're not a believer and God is speaking, come right now and say, I am bowing my knee to Jesus. Would you help me? I don't even know what to do. Because <laughs> God's here and his people are here and he's moving in our midst. And while that's going on, we're going to all stand. In fact, you can stand right now. And we're going to sing a song called Behold Our God. And it draws our attention to Jesus. Not man, but Jesus. So please come forward. Let us pray for you. Let's sing together. Behold our God. We're here to pray, minister to you.